of our program, The Abundant Life, would like to welcome our KKVV listening audience. Our speaker this morning is none other than our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. He has been serving here for just over five years, and the abundant life has been blessed by his ministry. Before he comes to us, we will have a sacred selection, followed by our speaker, Dr. Calvin Rock. If you would like a copy of this program, you may call us at 702-647-2627, or you may also uh, watch the program, a rebroadcast of this program at www.abundantlifelv.org. Hear ye him, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. does the cross of Jesus mean? What does the cross of Jesus mean it's more than songs we sing so much more than that emblem on a chain but it means that I am free yeah, from the chains of slavery shed won't let my sins remain upon the cross my savior died the lamb was crucified showed us love that this world had never known oh what love divine so divine true love you'll never find and, and he came and died he died alone well the love God had for me when the Lord of glory heaven sent came down on Calvary he did it just for me he just for me thank you Jesus Jesus came and did 
just for me. Well, the cross will always represent the love God had for me. When the Lord of heaven, heaven sent, came down on Calvary, he did it just for me. Just for me. Hallelujah. Jesus came and did it just for me. Just for me. Just for me. Jesus came and he did it just for me. Just for me. Just for me. Jesus came and did it just for me. Thank you, Sister Brown. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, you have promised and we have been blessed. You have promised and we have received. But now we open our hearts wide, even wider than ever. And we ask you to pour into our souls the good news the grace, the forgiveness, the direction, the power to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, where we have our scripture for the message today. How many people brought your Bibles? May I see your sword? You have your sword with you? All right. We are here to study the Word and we're going to do that today. And I am reminded that we have guests with us who would like for the church to provide a special service for them. And we'll do that at the conclusion of this formal worship. But let's look right now at the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, and I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, and I'm going to read several verses beginning with verse 10. Genesis 13, 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. 
speaking of Lot and Abraham. Abram, which was his name before he was called Abraham, the friend of God, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. My topic today is pitching your tent toward Sodom. Pitching your tent toward Sodom. This man, Lot, of whom we have read, lived a life that was full of very interesting and valuable lessons for us today. Exactly who was Lot? Look at Genesis eleven twenty-seven, and let's get his pedigree straight now. Genesis 11, verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Abraham, Nahar, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. So Lot was the son of a man named Haran, and Haran had Abraham as his brother, and that means that Lot was Abraham's nephew. But more than just a nephew, look at the following verses. Genesis 11, verse 32 and on. So the days of Terah, that was Lot's grandfather, the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. That's a city, Haran now. And verse 1 of uh, chapter 12, now the Lord uh, said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, Look in chapter 13, continuing the story of Lot and his connection with Abraham. Then, 13 verse 1, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also was with Abram, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. So we got a picture here, do we not? Not only was Lot Abraham's nephew, 
but he was adopted as a part of the family and as Abraham fulfilled God's call to come out and be a special man and the beginning of a special people and even now a special race, the whole Hebrew race physically and spiritually, God's spiritual Israel today, who we Christians are, Lot went with him everywhere. I guess you'd have to say that Abraham adopted Lot as his own son. And everywhere Abraham went, Lot went. And as they travel from Ur of Chaldees down through Haran, down to Egypt, down into Canaan, going south to the Promised Land, Lot was always there. But now, notice in verse 6 that something very dramatic occurs. Now, I'm speaking from Genesis, reading Genesis 13, 6, the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and the Parasites, and the Parasites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife among you and me between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. And if you take the right, then I will go to the left. Now, wasn't that nice of Abraham? Because Lot was so close to Abraham, whom God had blessed, not only did Abraham grow in goods and in wealth and livestock and prosperity and reputation in the land. And don't forget, the Bible says that everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. Abraham was a devout servant of God. He was, he was, he was really intense in his worship. And God blessed Abraham. But he not only blessed Abraham, he blessed Lot. And they had so much cattle and so many possessions that their herdsmen began to argue with each other. So Abraham, or Abram as he was still then called, said to his nephew, now look Lot, I think this isn't working. There's too much discussion of who owns what. You know how folk do when they get rich sometimes. They get a little possessive, they get a little touchy, and, and a little sensitive. Now, you know where, where you and your neighbor have to draw the line that separates your yard from his yard? Of course, that means a whole lot when you're surveying it for resale, but when he's cutting his grass, you wish he'd cut a little bit over on the other side. But Lot and Abraham are having a big discussion, a big debate, so they're herdsmen. So Abraham, being a magnanimous, generous, loving person he is, says to Lot, Lot, here it is, all out there. Now you choose what you want and I'll take the other. Can you imagine? Lot is the younger. Abraham is the old man. Abraham is his uncle. He, 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 he deserves respect. He deserves deference. But no, he says to Lot, I'll give you a first shot at this. You take the first choice. And what does Lot do? All right. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 11 and verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And the old King James says, pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot, had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give you and your descendants. Verse 18, then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there. There he goes again. Everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. Built an altar there to the Lord. So, how does Lot solve the problem? Lot, in his selfish, greedy, lustful. You know there are three kinds of sins. Lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And we all have problems with all of them, and everybody has more pronounced problem with one or the other. Some people have more lust of the flesh. That's the appetite, be it physical food or sex or whatever the physical urges of the body are. Some people have the pride of life. They are sensitive and they are, they, they are touchy and uh, they, are, they, they easily explode and blow up and they, you, you can't say things around them unless you hurt their feelings. Other people have the lust of the eye. They want everything. Some folk have all three badly, but most of us have one or the other more pronounced. Well, Lot, we know what Lot's was. Lot's was lust of the eye. And when Abraham said, Lot, you choose first, instead of the brother saying, well, no, no, Uncle Abe, you go first. You go first, huh? Because, you know, you're my senior and I defer to you. No, no. He looks out. He sees all the rich verdure. He sees the trees, the palm trees, and, and the streams and the lakes and the beauty. The Bible says it was almost like, or it looked like the Garden of Eden before sin. It was so pretty. And he latched on to it. But the problem was, as verse 13 says, the men, meaning the people in Sodom, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And in fact, Knox in his translation of the Bible says, Sodom's citizens were wicked beyond all measure. The people in Sodom, he chose the beautiful green plains, but the inhabitants in its cities were wicked beyond description. In fact, the Bible mentions Sodom as a wicked place 49 times. 49 in the Old and New Testament, Sodom is mentioned for the wickedness that was there. But the scripture that spells it out in more detail than any other, and I told you we were doing a study today, is the book of Ezekiel chapter 16. 
And those of you listening on the radio, you turn with us there too. If you're in a position to do so, open your Bible, read now Ezekiel chapter 16. And I want you to look at verses 49 and 15. And church, this is perhaps the most detailed description of what Genesis 13, 13 was trying to tell us about the wickedness in Sodom toward which Lot pitched his tent. Look at what the Bible says. Ezekiel 16, 49. Look, this was the iniquity. Well, let's go back up to verse 48. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this is or was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were what? They were what? And they were full of? An abundance of? Neither did she strengthen the hand of the? All right, verse 50. And they were what? Haughty and committed what? Abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. I took a little time and looked up in the writings of Ellen White to see what the church prophet had to say to expand upon this. And these are the descriptions she gives of ancient Sodom. She says in various writings that Sodom was full of people of unnatural appetites. Does that sound like anything today? Yes. Unnatural appetites, corrupt passions, inflamed passions. They were inflamed. Their minds were inflamed. They, they couldn't control their passions. They, couldn't, they didn't have any governors on their appetites. They were perverted appetites and they couldn't control them. Debasing practices, they were pleasure mad and they had vile conversation. Sound like anything you hear today? Sometimes when I'm around in the public, I feel like putting cotton in my ear. Just vile, evil, lewd, disrespectful, and, and, and irreverent conversation. Then they were also gluttons. They were gluttons. They didn't eat to live, they lived to eat. They were gluttons and drunkards and they were brutal, mean and evil and violent and lawless and they're described as licentious, meaning that they had no restraints on their morals. And if you really want to read about Sodom at its worst, look over in the book of Genesis again, this time chapter 19, and this is one of the most despicable incidents in all the Bible. I don't know how you can get worse than this, but this was Sodom. Look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Genesis 19, 1. Now, Lot pitches his tent toward Sodom. He, 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 he and his family are looking that way. At first, he's not living in the city limits. He's just pitching his tent toward Sodom. Abraham goes on by his way down to Hebron, and here is Lot. And the place gets wicked and more and more wicked and God decides to destroy it because of his wickedness as he had done the people before the flood when they got so wicked. But now look, two angels, the Bible says, Genesis 19, 1, came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. <laughs> See, Here, here's Lot now, sitting in the gate of Sodom in the mouth of wickedness. 
And the angels came, and when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. Now notice that these are angels looking like people. Don't let anybody fool you. Angels can take the form of human beings. And we are admonished to be kind to the people about us because we may be entertaining angels unawares. Amen. Yeah. Angels can look. There may be some angels in this building right here today for all we know. Some of these visitors we just welcome. Of course, I know those from Detroit. I know that you know, they may be angelic, my good friends. They may be angelic and some of the rest. But there could be somebody we don't even know in here today who is an angel. Angels come and you know what? Evil angels come too. Could be some devil's angels in here. Angels can take the form of humans and they visited with Lot and they, Lot's bows and he says, come in and, and say, he says, no, we're going to go to the open square. But look at what happened next, verse 3. But he insisted strongly, Lot, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now, verse 4, before they lay down, went to bed, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. These people in Sodom saw these two strangers come into Lot's house. So now they come over to his house and verse 5, they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we may know them carnally. Now I told you they were some wicked people. They wanted to get these men out so that they could have intercourse with these men. They wanted to know them carnally. I told you they had deprived taste. They had perverted appetites. They were uncontrolled morally. They wanted to come and sexually abuse Lot's guests. That's bad enough, but look at the rest. So Lot went out to them through the door, verse 6, and shut the door behind him. Lot shut the door, and he said, please. You know, the men are in the house, and Lot's on the porch. And Lot said, please, don't do this. Don't do this, my brethren. <laughs> Here comes Lot. He brought up in the church. Yeah, made the mistake of pitching his tent towards Sodom. He's got no business with those evil people. And you know, Christians, and I'm going to come to this a little in a few minutes. We, 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 cannot, we cannot do with conscience what these other people do. Amen. We're on a different program. We function by a different principle. But here's Lot going out. I guess he knew some of them. He'd met them at the club somewhere, at the 24-hour fitness club or somewhere. He said, my brethren, don't do so wickedly. No, brethren. He's calling them brethren. These wicked, no good slugs. Brethren. And then look what he does in verse 8. See how, and this is pitiful. This is one of the most pitiful scriptures in all the Bible. I say this as a father of three daughters. Look at what Lot was reduced to doing. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So Lot goes and said, no, you can't do this to these men. They're my guests. And in typical Eastern hospitality, he says, I'll give you my daughters. 
They've never been with a man. You, you do with them what you want. How disgusting. How awful when you pitch your tent towards Sodom. See now I have two daughters, verse 9, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came to stay and he keeps acting as a judge, talking the lot. And that's what they do down in Sodom when you, when, you, when, you, when you try to mix up with folk that aren't like, they don't have your background, they don't have your principles, but you're down there trying to be bad. And have you noticed when Christians, a lot of Christians, when they get in the world and they try to mix up with the world, they do more foolish things than anybody else. Have you noticed that? Preacher's children act worse sometimes than anybody else's child because they got to prove that they're bad. Well, here's poor Brother Lot. He's in trouble now. And they say, stand back. This, this, who are you? You came here to live to judge us. We've been living like this way. And he keeps acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than we do with them. You don't give us these men to abuse. We'll abuse you, Lot. He thought he had somehow made inroads with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands, these men in the house, and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. These angels looking like men rescued Lot. Verse 11, and they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. You talk about crazy people. They not only want to abuse the men and abuse Lot, but they are struck with blindness, and then they st even though they're blind, they still try to tear down the door. Sin knows no boundaries. There's no end to what the devil will do with a mind over which he has control. No wonder Lot was destroyed. No wonder Jesus mentions it in Luke 17, 29 as a sign of the evils which would be happening in the last day. And it is a fact that Sodom is not a pile of ashes. The, the fire destroyed it and the archaeologists and the Cultural anthropologists are still digging up and they think they know where ancient Sodom is buried under the sand. But Sodom is not just an, a pile of ashes from antiquity speaking to us from the past. Sodom is a representation of the world today. This Hollywood-led, computer-fed, pill-popping, hip-hopping, beer-drinking, lewd-thinking, road-raging, celebrity-gazing, thrill-seeking, idol-keeping, money-grabbing, backstabbing, rule-breaking, God-forsaking society in which we live. Sodom is us. Sodom is this society. It's a society of rogue policemen and bribed jugs, judges, and lying politicians. Lying politicians. Republicans and Democrats, white-collar crime and blue-collar crime and child abuse and elderly abuse and pornography and prostitution, morticians piling up bodies in woodsheds and gunmen shooting up classrooms and gamblers sucking on cigarettes while they drain their bank accounts and the sodomy, oh, the sodomy 
the pornography, the incest, the homosexuality, the weird, kinky, violent sex, the wife swapping, the one night stands, the down low, or may I change it, low down lifestyle. The disregard for the word of God, the disregard for the commandments of God, the disregard for the Sabbath of God, the disregard for the poor, while the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. One of the sins of Solomon, Sodom. Sodom is not simply a voice from the past. Sodom is America. And I'm not Rem Wright either. <laughs> but Sodom is America. And Sodom is the air we breathe. And Sodom is the land around us. And each of us has to choose between Hebron, where God took Abraham, and Sodom toward which Lot pitched his tent. It's a choice we all have to make. There is no in-between. Everybody here is either oriented toward Sodom or toward Hebron. You're either headed in your mentality, in what controls you, in your principles, in how you're oriented, every one of us is oriented either toward Hebron, where God gave Abraham the beauty, the less luscious, but peaceful beauty of a God-controlled demography. And may I add, wherever God takes you is the right place and where you ought to be. All the more glittering resources, the more exciting scenes, but the wickedness of Sodom of Sodom. Hebron represents life by the spirit. Sodom is life by the flesh. Hebron is full commitment at conversion. Sodom is the carnal nature still alive. Hebron where Abraham was is walking by faith. Sodom is walking by sight. Hebron is whatsoever God says I'll do it. Sodom is I just can't do it right now. God will understand. We can't have it both. And Jesus settled that for us long time ago. And I want you to read it in the book of Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Jesus settled it. He said it clearly. No man, Matthew 6 24, can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. Or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I ask you today, which way are you pitching your tent? Which way are you pitching your tent? Lot tried to have it both ways, but it didn't work. He was a member of the church who pointed his family and his life toward Sodom and it didn't work for him and it didn't work for his family. Pick up the story again now in Genesis chapter 19 verse 12 and let's get the rest of that. Genesis 19 verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? These are the two strangers that came and visited with him. Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. They were trying to save Lot. Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. 
He had daughters who had married Sodomites. And that's what happens, church, when you pitch your tent toward Sodom. Your daughters will marry Sodomite women. And your sons will marry Sodomite men. And look what happened to Lot's family. It's a scene that happens to ours if we're not careful. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were not members of the church, who had married his daughters, who were brought up in the church, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, the Sodomites, who were not members of the church, he seemed to be joking. They were having too much time, too much of a good time going to the plays. They were having such a good time enjoying all this sport. They were having too much of a good time in Sodom. And when, when, when Lot came and spoke to his daughters and their non-church member husbands, they laughed at him and thought he was joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters that are here. You got two daughters left. Lot, maybe you can save them. Come on, get them. And verse 15, get the two daughters left and get your wife and get out of here lest you be consumed, the four of you. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters and Lot being, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains. They got them outside the city and said, Lot, run, run, Lot, run. Get out of here. Fire and brimstone are about to happen. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Now here's Lot. They're trying to save the poor brother's life. And he said, wait a minute. I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to grow. Look at what he says in verse 19. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. You've been nice to me, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot go to escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. I don't want to go to those mountains. I don't know what's up there. Isn't that something? He's seen the angels smite them blind. He's had his life saved. They're telling him to run to the mountain, and he's going to argue with them. No, please, uh, I don't want to go. Now see this city that is near enough. Let me flee to it. It is a little one. Please let me escape through it. It is not, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Let me go to this little town over here instead. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry. The angel said, okay, Lot, hurry. Go on now, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Get out of here. The fire is about to fall. Go on over to this city named Zor. And the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained fire and bring brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew out of the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a what? So he lost his daughters that were already in Sodom and his grandchildren and his sons-in-law. Now he loses his wife and he has two daughters left with him. And look what happens. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up 
like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. But now look at verse 30. He lost his wife. He lost his daughters already in the flames of Sodom. Now look at what happens to the two girls he's got left. Then Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains. <laughs> Finally, he, he, he figured he'd better obey the Lord. When you got your tent pitched towards Sodom, it confuses your mind and delays your reaction. Now he starts to do what the angels told him to do in the first place. He goes to the mountains and his two daughters were with him for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. He asked God to send him to Zor. Now he gets in Zor and finds out it's wicked also. He says, well, maybe I'd better do what they told me to do in the first place. So now he heads towards Zor and his two daughters dwelt with him in the cave. Now, now, now what's going to happen next blows your mind. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man on earth to come into us as the custom of all the earth. We can't have babies because there are no more men around us in the church. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. All of this is happening because Lot wouldn't obey. Because Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Because he allowed the lust of the eye, his greed to overwhelm him. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom and all these evil consequences. Now his daughter is saying, let's make the old man drunk. And take him to bed. And get us pregnant. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And it happened the next day. The firstborn said to the young, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make you drink and wine. You know, it goes on. And, and, and it's a terrible, terrible story. But so much for the broad strokes. Let me get a little more specific. What do you and I learn very personally that we can take from this building today about our Christian experience. You know about Lot. The first thing I want to point out is that the pitch towards Sodom does not happen all at once. It is true that Lot made his decision when Abraham said, Lot, our herdsmen can't get along. We are running over each other here. We got to separate. That's the moment that he made the declaration. But young people in particular, you do not decide at that moment when you make your choice. You decide now the way you've been deciding all along. Look at verse 10 of chapter 13. Then Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. That's the first thing Lot did was he looked. Now verse 12. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the plain and pitched his tent as far as Sodom. The second thing he did was to pitch toward Sodom. And then chapter 14 verse 12 says, They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Notice there's a three-step progression here. He looked, 
He pitched and then he dove on in and he dwelt there. And that's the way sin does us. The devil doesn't throw us down all at once. He takes us down a little bit at a time. And that's what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. Read with me there. Psalm 1 verse 1. Everybody find it with me please. Together. Blessed is the what? Who does what? Nor does what? Nor does what? Notice the descending. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You can walk there. Then he stands in the path of sinners. And then he sits in the seat of the scornful. He walks. He stands. He sits. Young people. If you don't walk with sinners, you probably will never sit with them. So start out by determining not to walk. Number two, we learn from Lot's experience that it's possible, in fact, very often the case, that we Christians, even Seventh-day Adventist Christians, who are regular members of the church, are pitching in the wrong direction and don't really, don't really understand it. Now remember, Lot was a member of the church. He was brought up in the church. He didn't get baptized in his old age. He was Terah's grandson and Abram's nephew. And he was pretty much a nice fella. He was hospitable. When those angels came, he bowed. He wanted to watch the feed. Took him in his house. Even offered his daughters, which I can't quite understand. But he, he went overboard trying to be nice. And Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets 168 that he even had hopes of evangelizing Sodom. Back in his mind, he wanted to take the message to Sodom. But Lot teaches us that even the good people, even the righteous who are saved and who are barely saved themselves, when they pitch their tent towards Sodom, their salvation cannot atone for the loss of their loved ones. And we're all responsible for our children, for our neighbors, and for those whom we hold near and dear in bringing them and leading them to Christ. Look at what 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 tells us. And turning, 2 Peter 2, 6, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into, act, into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward live ungodly. Now listen. And delivered righteous Lot. Peter calls him righteous. And I'm sure he must mean he was covered with the righteousness of Christ because he sure wasn't righteous himself. He must be talking about the robe of Christ's righteousness. But Peter says he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Lot wasn't really happy in Sodom. He was tormented and he was not only tormented by what the people said and did, he was greatly tormented by the loss of his wife, 
the loss of his daughters, the loss of his grandchildren, and then when he woke up from his drunken stew and found out that he'd impregnated the two daughters he had left, he must have been uncomfortable till he died. But he was saved. Thank God. Lot was saved. He's called righteous Lot because in spite of all of his stupidity and his mistakes, he loved the Lord. But while he was saved, his children and his family were lost. And that's the lesson I want to hang out here to all of us today. You can pitch your tent towards Sodom if you want to and remain as a member of the church. You can be a good baptized Seventh-day Adventist in regular standing and be a member of the church with your tent towards Sodom and hold on to your membership and you can be saved. But if you pitch your tent that way, you're not going to be influencing your family and your children in ways that will bind them and enamor them to God so their souls can be saved. Pitching your tent toward Hebron means that you are selling out for God. Pitching your tent toward Hebron means that you have put everything into the proposition of the word of God and what God says and that you're going to give everything you've got in order to serve God and you're going to make every sacrifice necessary and you're not going to let the world attract you even though you can still remain in the church you're not going to let the world attract you because you want more than anything else to be saved and you want your family to be saved. Amen. How do I know when I'm pitching my tent towards Sodom? If you find time for Monday night football, but you can't find time for Wednesday night prayer meeting, you pitch your tent towards Sodom. Yeah. Say it again. If you are, and this is no, nobody's going to put you out of church because you don't come to Wednesday night prayer meeting. You can miss Wednesday night prayer meeting the rest of your life and you'll be a good member of the church. And maybe you've got a good reason for not coming to Wednesday night prayer meeting. You're working at night or some other severe problem. But if you can find time for Thursday night football, did I touch anybody? Yeah. I know when the NFL got started. If you can find time for Thursday night football, if that turns you on, but prayer meeting doesn't turn you on, you're pitching your tent towards Sodom. The things of society and the world have grabbed you and they're holding you more securely and more rigidly than are the things of God. Well, you say all they do out there on Wednesday night is pray and testify. I don't. Well, that's what you ought to be doing, praying and testifying. Let me go on, get a little closer now. If you laugh at health reform and eat and drink anything you want to eat and drink and say your body is yours and you do put things in your body that you know you shouldn't be consuming, and I'm not just talking about flesh foods, that's part of it, but whatever, and you're laughing and you're just recklessly going on and you're not observing the principles of health reform, you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. If you spend your tithe and your personal, on personal bills and comfort 
And like Ananias and Sapphira, maybe you give a little bit, but don't give all the tithe you should and all the offerings you should. You are pitching your tent toward Sodom. When you introduce yourself, young people, to my space or any other space with your pictures half clad and dressed up like Sodomites and put yourself out there in front of the world in lustful sits before predators that you don't know, you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. When you sit down in the casinos with those one-armed bandits, bandits, and you're rolling dice and shuffling cards, you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. Ladies, when you wear dresses that accent your body, and pump up certain parts, And leave some things exposed that only your husband should see. You are pitching your tent towards Sodom. What I'm trying to say is you are following the principles of Sodom. You remember the church? But you're following the prince. That's how they do in Sodom. That's not how the daughters of God should dress. You can be a member here. But you're pitching your tent towards Sodom. And ladies and men, when you bedeck yourself with jewelry, whether you are doing it in the church or on your job on Monday morning, you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. And when you prefer BTE, or is it BET? When you prefer BET and all of its cultural loudness and show and entertainment where the noise and the choreography destroy the melody and the music, when you prefer that to the sweet gospels and spirituals and hymns of Zion, you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. You can be a member of the church. Nobody's going to put you out. But your children are going to suffer. And you are going to suffer. Because you're pitching your tent towards Sodom. And when you declare public education just as good as Christian education, when you say, I don't send my children to church school because they don't do this and they don't do that. When you place public education on par or above Christian education and send your children where they have to learn evolution and mix with young people whose parents aren't giving them a bit of Christianity and they've got to get immersed in lies and drugs and sex and gangs and all the rest of it. You can be a member and come here every Sabbath. And you can be a part of the Sabbath school. You can be even a Sabbath school teacher. But you are pitching your tent towards Sodom. Of course, the final question is, how do I orient myself properly?
How do I live in this world and not of this world? How do I keep the ship in the water without the water coming into the ship? How do I live in Sodom without becoming a Sodomite? We're all here in Sodom. But how do I keep Sodom out of my house, off my television? How do I keep my children oriented toward Hebron? Three ways, three, three, three scriptures. One is Psalm 119, 11. It says, thy word have I what? That I what? Brothers and sisters, if you want to keep Sodom out of your home, if you want to keep your tent pitched in the right direction, here it is. It's the word. Let me tell you something. Something. I'm going to make an appeal in a minute. We make an appeal every Sabbath. But let me tell you something. Those appeals don't mean a thing very long unless we go home and bury ourselves in the word of God. We have to study. I can make, and I have my own, and I'm talking to me too. Let me tell you how I have to fight against Sodom. Because I love football. Uh, that's why I know what happened Thursday night. <laughs> and I know who won Thursday night, and I know the score, but I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> so I'm talking to me, to me. Because you know what? We can get so wrapped up. In fact, one of the things Ellen White says, and I've got to finish, she says, you know, football, and this is just an example. I'm not, you know, just an example. Football is violent. Football and boxing, those are violent sports. And when we get all engrossed, you know, sometimes I've, I've been looking at football, and I'm all, and my wife says, Calvin, I say, leave it alone. You know, just, yeah. I wouldn't act that way normally, I don't think. <laughs> wouldn't act that way. So I got my own battle. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, believe me, when I talk about dress and diet and the rest of it, I know, that's not my problem. Jewelry is not my, I don't wear nose rings and earrings and bracelets. It's not my problem. And if you got that problem, keep on struggling with it. I'm praying for you. And, and, and I want you to overcome it. That's the only reason I mention it. I want you to overcome it because it's Sodom. That's the way the women in Sodom dress. We are supposed to be dressing like God's people. We're on another program, another, another agenda. We, 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 we march to the beat of another drummer. We got to turn our back on Sodom and sell out for Jesus. But I got my own problems. When I was young, I wanted to be a fighter. That's what, that was my, I longed to be a fighter. But you know what? Fighting and football and all that business, we have to overcome. We got to overcome. And I'm not saying we don't read the newspapers or take a peek once in a while, maybe. But, I, but to sit there and get all engrossed and, and because it develops in us the spirit of the combatants. We want supremacy. We want to beat people. We get anger. And, and it destroys the ability to think calmly and to appreciate the word of God. You cannot have a red hot Baseball, football, World Series, uh, Super Bowl, whatever it is, and, and be all up here emotionally and then pick up your Bible and say, For God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son. Doesn't work like that. The Holy Ghost is already gone. 
And he got nothing to do with what happens at Lambeau Field. So what am I saying? I'm saying, brothers and sisters, we all have to battle. I have to battle. You have to battle. Whatever your problem is, let's battle it out together. And let's pray that God would give us the victory over Sodom. And that God will help us to turn our backs on the offerings of the world to be brave enough and to be committed enough to sell out for Jesus and to save ourselves and save our children, if possible. Doesn't mean they'll all be saved. But we can try to make sure we're not responsible if they're lost. You know the best part of this story? The best part of this story is what happened when God was about to knock out Sodom. He went to Abraham, and you remember what happened. And he said, Abraham, get out of the way. I'm about to destroy Sodom. And Abraham said, wait, wait a minute. My nephew is there. My nephew is there. Won't you please be kind? Won't you please be merciful and save the city? And God says to Abraham, why should I save it? And Abraham said, if you find 50 people there, would you spare them? Abraham said, I know they're wicked down there. But Father, you call me the faithful and my boy Lot is there. Please, Father, for 50. If you find 50, would you save them? And God is so merciful. God says, oh, Abraham, if I find 50. Then Abraham scratched his head and said, 50? I don't know if he got 50. He said, Lord, if they're 45, would you save them for 45? And God says, okay, Abraham, if they're 45, I'll save them. Abraham thought about it. He said, hmm, I don't know if I've seen 45. He said, will you save them for 40? And God says, all right, Abraham, I'll save them for 40. And Abraham gets bold then. He says, well, look, this thing is working pretty good. He says, God, will you save them for 30? But perchance you find 30, would you save them? And God knows they're not 30, but he's working with Abraham. He says, all right, Abraham, if I find 30 of them, I'll save them. And Abraham is getting real bold now. And he says, well, he's gone with me this far. He says, Lord, will you save him for 20? And God says, okay, Abraham, I'll save them if I can just find 20 of them there. I will save them and I won't destroy the place. And then God says, then Abraham says to God, well, look, Father. And, and, and by now, Abraham knows, <laughs> Abraham must know it's all over. So Abraham says, Lord, if you find 10, <laughs> if you find 10 righteous people in Sodom, would you be kind enough to save them? And God says, Abraham, if I find 10, I will save them. And then God looked and counted and said, one, one, one. Lot out, fire down. But you know, Abraham's insistent pleading with God is just a type of Jesus' insistent pleading for you and me. He has come into our world and lived on our sodomy earth and he died and he's gone back to glory and you know what he's doing now? He's pleading for you and he's pleading for me and he wants me to sell out for glory. Turn my back on Sodom. And Jesus extends his arms 
his bleeding hands and he says if you love me keep my commandments and he is now pleading before the father and he wants to break those chains that bind us to Sodom he wants to break them he wants miracles today in your life and mine and he's saying turn your back on Sodom and follow me how many of you today wish to stand with your senior pastor and say brother rock I want to sell out for the Lord. Pray for me. I got my problems. I know. But by grace of God, you're saying, I'm going to make it. If the Lord will help me, I'm going to study and pray. Get my mind clean. Eat right. Rest right. Recreate right. Do right. Read right. Go to the right places. And by God's grace, I don't care what anybody says. I want to sell out away from Sodom on the safety ground with Jesus. If you're there, sing with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Lord, take me out of Sodom. Lord, help me to turn my ship around. Lord, help me to reorient my life. Lord, help me to gaze and settle on glory. Do you mean it, church? If so, sing with me. If Christ goes with me, I'll surely fall. 